We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Miss something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast. How about this? Uh, this one works. The main mic isn't working. What's that all about? Hello? Oh, there it goes. All right. Now we got it in action. And you can turn down that god-awful music. You're giving me a headache in here. Come on, man. No, that was... I'm just kidding about the music. Well, that's never happened before with the microphone. That was weird. All right. We're here, and we're psyched. It's Thursday. I don't know. The, the week's just... As I've said many times, a week is too small of a unit of measure to be of much use. It just goes by too fast. As you know, I am newly obsessed with developing a new system of government, well, a new political party to advocate for an old system of government, which is the American system of government as I see it. And of course, as I see it may not correspond to how it truly is or how lots of other people see it. So um, Michael Leibowitz, our favorite prisoner, now former prisoner, who is an expert in freedom, who would know better, has been booking people he thought would be important for us to talk to. He's been reaching out to people. And one of the people he reached out to, he has reached out to, is here right now. And that is Professor Ed Stringham. He is a professor of American business and economic enterprise at Trinity. And I'm excited to have him here. I don't know if I've had anybody on from Trinity before. Hi, Ed. Thank you for being here. Hello, Todd. Nice to chat. Thanks for having me. So you're into, I've been dying to find out what this uh, field is, that, I mean, this belief system is that you're into, which is anarcho-capitalism, is that what it's called? Yeah, I am uh, interested in that set of ideas. I don't like the term, actually. Uh, I, don't, I think it's confusing. What does it mean? Uh, but What's the first part mean? So... My preferred term is private governance, which basically describes the rules and regulations that exist in all societies Mm -hmm. that underpin order. 
And to answer your specific question about the term anarcho-capitalism, the uh, term capitalism, which I also don't like, is confusing, was created by critics of markets, including Karl Marx, to describe the opposite of his ideal system, which was socialism or communism. And he said markets are bad because people are just worshiping capital. And so uh, it came out as a critical term against markets. So a lot of people, including myself, don't think it's the perfect term, but I'm okay with it. Now, the modifier anarcho to anarcho-capitalist says capitalism is so good, we should be relying so much on markets that everything that we think that can be done uh, by markets and, and even things that we think must be done by government can actually be done better through markets. And so to linguistically go through this term, <laughs> which I don't like, the term anarcho-capitalism means you can have capitalism, which is purely based on markets. Uh, all interaction in society is going to be through markets, and we do not need a centralized, coercive state to be bossing us around. Okay, it's the centralized coercive state I want to eliminate, because what I feel, I feel looking at our own system, Professor, what we can see is that it doesn't work, that as hard as the founders might have tried to put up safeguards and guardrails, as they like to say, to, to make sure that we wouldn't just become uh, another plundered nation. That's what we've now become. And we're being victimized by our own government on a regular basis, and everyone's so brainwashed because of their control over the flow of ideas and information and education that uh, it, it seems impossible to fight back against. Yeah, two of my favorite economists, Frank Knight and Friedrich Hayek, had this theory that said, why the worst get on top? And the example they gave was uh, the person who's going to apply to become a slave driver is not going to be a kind and gentle person. Instead, mm. <laughs> it's going to be the person who wants to be vicious and exercise that authority. And the analogy then gets applied to government. The people who have the most to gain or the want to gain the most through politics and exercise of power are those power-hungry people who don't necessarily care anything about the well-being of the subjects so it's a it's a built-in problem yeah they care about the acquisition of power they want the they want to acquire more power all the time and to find ways to make it more permanent and secure so what's your system tell me how this uh this compromise works where everything's private is that it but but markets are the deciding factor yeah, so the advantage of markets to me and to many other people is that it puts the individual in charge. Individuals are free to interact with other people, free to buy things when they want to, free to not buy things when they want to, and they're not going to be coerced into any relationship that they don't agree with. So when somebody's forced to pay taxes for a service, that they don't want or like. Uh, I, for example, uh, did not want to uh, pay taxes to bomb people in uh, other countries. I still nevertheless have to pay my taxes because it's not me in charge of my money. It's the military 
industrial complex people um, in charge of my money. So the advantage of letting people be in control of their own lives and their own pocketbooks is the individual, not the central state, is in charge. So we can think about the most extreme examples of when the government's in charge of everything are places like North Korea or to a large extent China where they're bossing everybody around all the time. And the complete opposite is just say, look, you just do your own thing as long as you're not harming anybody else acting peacefully. You should be able to do things and not have other people bother you, not have people taking half of your money through taxes, not have people um, <clears throat> shutting down your schools, shutting down your, your church, shutting down your business, your restaurant, and letting people do what they want to do as long as they're not uh, committing any type of coercion against anyone else. So the idea is organize society through markets peacefully rather than through government and through coercion. Okay, that's not concrete enough, though. How do you get there? Are you saying there's no government or there's a little bit of government? that, And, and are there no taxes, just voluntary taxes? And, and do how do these things get managed? Do we substitute for having a Department of Education by having uh, everybody pay for their own education and let that happen through markets? How exactly do you envision this coming to fruition? Yeah, so through privatization. And I think actually a lot of what the government does right now is just completely wasteful and destructive, and they could just stop doing it without, you know, things going poorly. I wish it was just wasteful. It seems to me that it's purposeful, that they feel the money isn't wasted at all because it secures their power, and that's all they care about spending for. I, I agree. So anything that's for uh, the agglomeration of power against the people, we don't need that. Anything that's purely wasteful, we don't need that. And then the question becomes, well, you know, how is order going to exist in society? And I'll suggest that we already have tons and tons of private rules and regulations all around us that we don't actually even notice that actually make markets work. So let me just give you a, an example of uh, private rules and regulations of private governance that works well. And then I'll mention something that's in the news. All right. Actually, uh, hold that thought because we've got to get yeah. to a break and then we'll talk some more. We're talking with Professor Ed Stringham. He is from Trinity College, right in the neighborhood. Nice to have you here, sir. We'll talk to you more in just a moment on WTIC. It's the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. Yeah, I'm psyched for this conversation because we're talking about what sounds pretty similar to what I think is the answer to all of our national problems. Uh, those national problems are based in too much government, and and I'd like to get to too little government and figure out where the places are. We actually all agree we desperately need government, which it might be there is no such place. We're talking with Professor Ed Stringham from Trinity College, where he's a professor of American business and economic enterprise. Uh, so if I have it correct, you're talking about a system of government where there's no government, or do you see a need for government 
somewhere. I like the idea of governance. We need rules, we need regulations, and we want to restrict our own behavior so people around us don't do bad things, we don't do bad things to other people. But most people assume that must be mandated by a centralized course of authority, yes. when in reality there's plenty of private sure. rules and regulations that we follow every single day. I'll mention one from the markets that worked successfully. I'll give you some an example that does, didn't work successfully, uh, specifically the FTX implosion and fraud. Uh, but the way things normally work... Well, hang on a second. Tr- what's, what's wrong with the FTX model? If we're going to accept the riches that come from having a bunch of high-stakes gamblers running markets that we can uh, take gambles on if we choose to, don't we have to accept that there are going to be dangers, that there are going to be big wins occasionally uh, to go along with big losses? And if we want to take the winnings, we've got to accept that there's a downside. I agree with that. There's going to be people make errors, or in this case, I think it was fraud. But one of the advantages of established markets like the New York Mercantile Exchange, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, is you have these long-established private self-regulatory organizations that have figured out how to manage counterparty risk. Without government involvement. Right. So they've been around for a long time, and their private rules and regulations have been working quite well. The uh, one of the top people from the Chicago Mercantile Exchange was testifying to Congress months ago saying, look, this whole FTX thing is is just a fraud. They don't know anything they're doing. And so, yeah, I do agree with you that there's going to be things that go wrong and people who want to interact in unestablished markets such as FTX can get burned as they did. And I feel bad for every single one of those people. Mm -hmm. But for the people who want to go through a uh, more secure and orderly process, you've got these private self-regulatory organizations like the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. My own research looks at the history of stock markets 200 years ago in England and in New York a lot of the stock trades weren't understood by the government. And so the brokers created private self-regulatory organizations, which we now refer to as stock exchanges, Mm -hmm. to create and enforce rules. They met in coffee houses and they started saying, hey, look, you got to follow this rule. You can't default. If you default, here's the... So they all uh, realized that they needed to cooperate on having these rules so that the game could be played. Exactly. So everybody was better off if they could agree ahead of time to create a more reliable structure. Excuse so me, Ed, want- let me jump in one second because we only have a couple minutes yeah. left. And I, I want to I ask you about how the students respond to this. Are kids, um, do, do kids find it appealing, the idea of radical change in the way governance works? Or are, what, what's their reaction? Do they embrace I wouldn't say I talk about this specific topic every day, but uh, my students are very open to all different ideas, and they are very interested in hearing various different perspectives. Because I think the average arguments. I think the average American, there's something inside that that uh, we're so conditioned to think that the status quo is is required that most people ha- have a tough time getting their head around this. Yeah. 
But I'll also point out that this is really closer to the ideals of American history, the American Revolution, the American frontier. New Amsterdam, for example, was privately uh, controlled by the West India Company. Now, there were a lot of problems associated with it, but throughout history, we've had a lot of individualistic spirit where people could do what they want. If things weren't going well, they could go further out on the frontier. And so I do think that this is really the American way. It's not that out of the ordinary. It's this big monolithic state, which has really grown up, especially over the past hundred years, which is out of the ordinary. And I think if we can just get back to the way that we used to be mm-hmm. when thinking about decentralized market choices rather than government and control of everything, we'd be all a lot better off. I, I, for me, I have no doubt, and nothing could be worse than what we have now, because I feel like we're being driven off a cliff financially. We won't be able to survive much more of this. Exactly right. The government is always saying, oh, look, we're only going to do this one small thing. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Next thing, uh, they create this big problem where they need to, quote, need to spend even more money to solve a problem. Yes that they created. Now there's a whole new set of problems. And, oh, how did the debt become so high? Oh, where did this inflation We've got to borrow more money to fix it. (laughs) Exactly. People, uh, uh, all of my friends have been saying, yeah, I don't know if this is such a good idea. And now we get to where we are now. And so the idea that more government, more centralization, more coercion is going to be helping us, I think is never been proven. The idea that uh, a government in control of the economy is good for people, that that has been disproven in communist sure. countries and elsewhere. And we just need to get out of that way of thinking in the United States. All right. Professor Ed Stringham, Trinity College, thank you for your time, sir. Todd, thanks. Great. I'll talk with you soon. It's great to talk with you. 860-522-9842. We'll take a break for news. It's Todd Feinberg. It's Todd Feinberg. Monday through Friday, 3 till 6 on WTIC News Talk 1080. News Talk 1080. Yeah! Yeah, that sounds like the kind of music we can listen to as we march for the end of governance as it is known in America today. The plundering, oppressive, bureaucratic, morbidly obese bureaucratic deep state crushing its weight onto the shoulders of everyone who's just trying to make things work in their lives. And it gets harder and harder because the government gets bigger and bigger and crueler and crueler by necessity as it grows. So that's really what our conversations are focused on, is how do we turn that thing around? And that's what that conversation with Ed Stringham was really about. And and we're going to have a bunch of people on like that who are study government and uh, small government and think of ways to make it better. And really, our next guest... We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 
After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Who is uh, somebody you've heard several times on the show now, Kathy Flaherty. She is the executive director of the Connecticut Legal Rights Project. I'm doing this from memory. I think that's right. And the Connecticut Legal Rights Project is um, it's it it's there to navigate for people who want to get services they're entitled to from the state um, Department of Mental Health. The uh, there, there, Kathy's agency is is there to help people navigate that crushing bureaucracy. So I like to talk to her just as, you know, we started off a couple of years ago talking with the prisoners three or four years ago, uh, Michael Leibowitz and, and Brent McCall and others, in order to look inside of the bureaucracies and see what they really do in real life. Instead of having them be an abstract, let's see what's really going on. And that's why we talk to Kathy every week. So Kathy Flaherty, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. What's what's on your mind this week as you as you try to uh, find little cracks and crevices through which you can get the the mental health system in the state to work better? What what's new in your life? Uh, I guess it's not really a Connecticut thing, but to the extent that you talk about national issues that sometimes happen is you know the proposal that uh, New York City's mayor came up with to um, force people who are unhoused uh, into hospitals as opposed to providing folks housing first. What? That, That's a, isn't that the most expensive thing you could think of? Um, it's up there. That's for sure. Um, and also, it's it doesn't actually solve the problem. And I think a lot of people think that, um, you know, forcing psychiatric treatment on people uh, is a way of of helping them, which is not to say that people who want to access services need to be able to access services, but it's very different when it's um, forced on people. So I always say, you know, it's not compassion and it's not care when it's done through coercion and without consent. I was telling my wife about some of our conversations and what I've learned from them this morning and about the whole idea that people can be committed to um, a state hospital and and be wards of the state and think that they are there voluntarily to to try to get help and then they want to leave and they're not allowed to and no one ever told them that if they went in willingly they would you know, they would only be released unwillingly. And, and yeah. she, she was kind of shocked by that whole dynamic. 
I mean, that's actually not just state facilities. That's any psychiatric facility. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't understand is that psychiatric wards are locked wards. They are not like going to the hospital when you go to the hospital for pretty much anything else where you can decide that you no longer want to be there and you can leave against medical advice. That doesn't happen uh, in psychiatry because the door, like I said, the doors are locked and all you can do is, is tell them that you want to leave and they might open the door and let you out, but they also can initiate a court process uh, to keep you there against your will if, if, in their opinion, they think that's where you need to be. Yeah, and, and um, it's just such a hard thing to imagine that people could be, you know, ready to, like, you could be packing your bag and say, okay, I'm ready to go. I want to check out. And they say, no, no, you don't get to decide that. If if your family, a lot of times there are interventions that take place where somebody can, can be going through a mental health crisis, family says, oh, we've got to get you help, and they arrange to have you committed so you can get helped. And then you have no power. Does that, does that, in that case, is that still what happens? That's still pretty much what happens. You know, what I, you know, I could just go back to what happened to, you know, in my first hospitalization, you know, I I went to an appointment with my psychiatrist. She said, I'm putting you in the hospital. And, you know, I swore at her and said, no, you're not. And I walked out and, and the Harvard police were there waiting for me. And I said, okay, fine, I guess I have to go. And they said, well, you can sign yourself in. So I was like, okay, great, I'll sign myself in and then tell them I want to sign myself out. But uh, what that en- ended up doing is the hospital filed a petition in the district court um, to civilly commit me because they, they claimed I was a danger to myself. Um, and, you know, that means you stay in the hospital until that hearing is held. And then when I had the hearing in front of a judge, um, I lost. And so I would think that happens a lot, Kathy, because if you're in a situation like that, that's not going to bring out the best behavior in you. And if you are going through times that where, where you're already feeling stressed, you might just feel like the whole world is conspiring against you and be enraged at the situation you've gotten yourself into by trusting others. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't think about. And then when people do exhibit those challenging behaviors or do demonstrate that they're really frustrated with with what's going on, that gets weaponized against you too. Or if you went the other way and decided not to engage with anyone because you didn't trust them because of what was already happening, that gets you... You're uncooperative. Exactly. Or non-compliant is my other favorite word. (laughs) Non-compliant. So... Um, or they like to use a word that they call anisognosia, which is, you know, you're, you lack insight and you, you're not aware. And the reality is, is that when that comes to mental health conditions, it's like whenever you challenge the perceptions of the doctor, they're not necessarily listening to why you're thinking or feeling the way you're thinking or feeling. They just label everything within this as a mental disorder and they medicalize everything instead of just really examining why people are distressed. And my position would be is the way the state of the world right now, a lot of people are very distressed for very good reasons. And some of us have different reasons of what we're distressed about, but 
putting, slapping a psychiatric diagnosis on it um, and especially usually trying to medicate it or shock treat it mm-hmm. doesn't solve the problem. Kathy Flaherty is Executive Director of Connecticut Legal Rights Project, which advocates on behalf of people engaging with the state mental health system. What is the what is the option, though? There must be times when people are demanding to be released, want to be released, are totally convinced that they are in condition to be released, and, and yet they're wrong about that. Well, it, the, one is they can ask the court to, for uh, a review, you know, if they are under civil commitment, because it's one thing that eventually I think I would love to see changed in Connecticut most states put a time limit on a civil commitment, and that means, you know, when it gets to the, they give them a certain amount of time. Which would be what? Well, give us an example. There are state, you know, 30, 60, 90, 180 days. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what's you know, the Connecticut limit? There is none. You can be kept in perpetuity on a verbal commitment. And uh, once it's somebody... Not a verbal, it's not a verbal commitment. It's after a court hearing. Okay. But it, it, it is... It, you are entitled to a clinical review once a year mm-hmm. and a review by a judge every two years. The average length of stay at Connecticut Valley Hospital is more than three years. But you said, three years is horrifying, but you said that when you were committed against your will, and, and mm-hmm. you sound like a pretty rational person, they wouldn't let you out when you had a hearing. That is correct. What, what do you, When you look back at that, were you sicker than you realized, or... Did you fall into their traps? I will say that I was told a year later that the judge who heard my case had once let somebody go after a hearing, Mm -hmm. and there was a very bad outcome. And so I was told by that person, you never would have gotten out. It wouldn't have mattered what you did. This was somebody who had uh, some kind of knowledge beyond what average street knowledge of this judge. Correct. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, and I don't think that's necessarily the case with the judges who are ruling on things here, you know, but they, because they do have an obligation. But I, I do think when you think about systems and how they're set up, it, you even mentioned it. When you're not doing well, you know, people are not going to look at the things that you're saying necessarily favorably. And when you have, you know, two doctors who may not know you very well and really have only met you for the, the uh, evaluation coming in with their expert opinion of what they think your life story is, who gets more weight, who gets more deference in that hearing. Um, yeah, that's a, that's what happens. And that, that's a difficult situation. So what's the answer to that, to, to how to make it work? It sounds like instead of a single judge, there should be, a committee or, or some, um, you know, something more more interesting than just a single person who operates in a political environment and has to worry about what the political response to doing the right thing might be. That is actually a very interesting point that you make, Kirk. Uh, I'm sorry, Todd, is that you actually can ask for a three-judge panel. It doesn't completely get rid of the political overlay Mm -hmm. because probate court judges in Connecticut are elected, Um, but it does take out the single person making the decision, but most people don't know about that, and most people don't actually use that. I'm not entirely sure what the court would even do 
if somebody were to ask for their hearing to be held with a three-judge panel because it would surprise me if that's been used more than, you know, occasionally what you can count on two hands wow. over however many years it's been around. Kathy Flaherty, what else do you want us to know? Um, if people need to contact CLRP, our phone number is 877-402-2299. Our website is www.clrp.org. Thank you so much for being here. I love our conversations. I do, too. Thanks. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. That is Kathy. And Kathy Flaherty is the executive director of the Connecticut Legal Rights Project. That is an agency located in Middletown, a nonprofit that advocates for people trying to interface with the uh, state system of mental health care. And, and that's a, that can be a complicated thing that is, as, as you might surmise, is, uh, has pitfalls if you don't make the right decisions or handle it the best way. 860-522-9842, the rant line number 860-751-4698. More coming up on WTIC. Now back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. 860-522-9842. Bill and Granby. Hi, Bill. Hi, Todd. Hey, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, about three or four months ago, the first time, maybe three months ago, the first time that you had Kathy on ever, I mm-hmm. happened to be listening, and my uncle, I needed to go, uh, my uncle chose me, he was going through a mental health episode, and he chose me to be his advocate, um, and I was working with the hospital that he was admitted in, and all of the staff, and he needed to go to a hearing uh, to find out whether he would get out, and what kind of, what services were available. He's a veteran. He's a Navy veteran. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's like to Kathy's point, you know, people don't understand what's available to them, how to access the resources. It's not easy. And nobody volunteers the information. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the system is sitting there doing its thing without your knowledge of how that thing works. And you have to face the repercussions of what they decide. Right, exactly correct. And so even, you know, like a month in advance, I was working with the internal hospital staff, letting them know that he was a veteran, and I knew that he was entitled to VA services, and asking them to make a connection for me. And, you know, they they did this or that, and they were trying, but they just were never successful in actually putting me in touch with the right person. So the conversation, listening to Kathy was really helpful because – um, she provided some information and just the idea that you could be your own advocate. I ended up, when I went to court, uh, when I went to the hearing, there's a VA, uh, for any of your listeners that need to know this, there are, there are VA social workers mm-hmm. in, the court, in the courthouses. They're actually, they have offices in the courthouses. Now, the hospital should, know, they should have known this, and they should have, that should have been an easy connection for them to make. But it didn't happen until the day of when I actually showed up to advocate for my uncle. And then they dropped everything they were doing and took on his case like in the blink of an eye. Wow, that's the, great. Yeah, right. But but nobody, yeah, people that should know how to connect the people that need the services, don't. They don't, they don't do a good job of it. And it's well, not- look, a, a lot of the time, I mean, that makes sense from your perspective that there should be a liaison there to help you move through the bureaucracy, but most of the time the bureaucracy doesn't bother helping you move through the bureaucracy, and that's just the way big bureaucracy is, unfortunately. 
Yeah, you're right. And I'll say this. Um, once I was connected with the social workers at the courthouse, they advocated for my uncle like he was their own family member. And I know a lot of times it's an individual basis, but but the um, the social worker advocate that we got in touch with was is amazing and has continued to do an amazing job for him. Kept him from being homeless. He's 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 in New Britain and he's got housing, and they're continuing to work with me and with him to help him out. And would things have worked out as well if he didn't have you available? No, he uh, in fact. It, when the hearing started, he was still not well. Um, and when the hearing started, he had to appear in front of the judge by himself. And uh, they had made a mistake, and they put him on an Uber and sent him to the courthouse. Oh, and the, the, the first, he was supposed to be, have been brought there by the police or somebody like that. And um, the very first thing that happened is the, the, the state prosecutor started started with false information and i had to blurt out from from the seats i had to blurt out yeah. that that wasn't correct that's and terrible just, bill i'm sorry i've got to hold you right there i'm out of time but i really appreciate you sharing that story because it's a great insight into uh you know i always laugh when they call themselves compassionate government there's no such thing can't be Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 